needs retaliation for his plans to write a tell-all book about the president. From FSN's bureau in New York, Li Ling Tan reports. U.S. federal judge Alvin Hellerstein said the decision by federal prison officials to send Michael Cohen back to jail in early July was in retaliation for his plans to publish the book. That book is touted as a tell-all memoir critical of U.S. President Donald Trump and is slated to be published before elections in November. Cohen, who is serving a three-year sentence for several charges, including violating campaign finance laws and lying to Congress, was among inmates moved into home confinement earlier this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Cohen will be released on Friday back into home confinement. I'm Leeling Tan in New York. The U.S. has recorded its four millionth confirmed case of COVID-19. More than 1,100 people died in America on Thursday alone from the virus. But President Trump has been telling Fox News that he's not a fan of all the testing that's being done. Every time you test, you find a case and, you know, it gets reported in the news we found more cases. If instead of 50, we did 25, we'd have half the number of cases. So I personally think it's overrated. But I am totally willing to keep doing it. You know, we have so many more tests than any other country by far. And it makes us look bad, but they say it's good. I don't mind looking bad if it's a good thing. The British government says it's concerned that Russia launched a projectile with the characteristics of a weapon from a satellite in space. British officials say the Russians are threatening the peaceful use of space. President Trump called Vladimir Putin today. The White House did not indicate whether the incident was discussed. British and EU negotiators say they're still battling to reach a post-Brexit trade agreement. There were no breakthroughs during fresh negotiations in London. Britain's chief negotiator says there are still considerable gaps in the most contentious areas of discussion. The city of Portland, Oregon remains on edge after another night of violent clashes between demonstrators and security forces sent to the city by President Trump against the wishes of Oregon authorities. The mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, was one of those tear-gassed last night. It is an unconstitutional occupation. The tactics that are being used by our federal officers are important, and the president has made it clear it's going to happen in cities that are controlled by Democratic leaders. President Trump is planning to surge federal forces onto the streets of Chicago and Albuquerque next. He says mobs of radical left anarchists are threatening peace and security. His critics say he's trying to foment civil unrest. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Well, it's afternoon. It's evening. You know what I mean. How are you? It's good to be with you. Listen, uh, today on the program, we're going to be discussing something that's really important to everyone because uh, you might not, you you may or may not live in the suburbs. You might live in the city, uh, an urban area, 
or you might live in a rural area. But the proposal that has been run through, it was during the Obama administration, and it is something that uh, a President Biden would resurrect, is of interest to all of us because it changes local control. And so we're going to discuss that today on the show. We're also going to discuss praying for the president, which is so important. It's so important to pray for him and to pray for issues. And I found a website that's very helpful with this. Um, You might be participating in the 8 p.m. Central Time or 8 p.m. Eastern. You stop what you're doing and you pray for the president and all of the administration. Everybody who's in Washington, D.C., you pray for them for, you know, 60 seconds. And it's a way to make sure that you do it on a daily basis. You may be doing that. Um, and if you're not, it's not a website. There's nothing to sign up for. And there's no real, like, you, there's nothing like a specific prayer. You just stop at that time of day and pray. Um, and it might not be eight o'clock for you. That's the time that everybody is kind of using. But you can also pray at whatever time works best for you. Set a reminder on your phone or what have you. Um, so that's what we're going to discuss on the show today. So I want to start off by going into uh, this. This It's a... It's fascinating, actually. Um, It is one of the stories that I think I'm pretty sure I covered it a few years back when it was an Obama rule that they implemented. So people are writing about it again because a candidate, Joe Biden, is talking about doing this when he, uh, you know, should he be elected. Now, this is important because. you want to be informed about what this is and you're not going to get it on CNN, right? You're not, you know, MSNBC isn't going to be talking about it. So here's what it is. There's an Obama era social engineering type of a scheme. It's called affirmatively furthering fair housing. And it had barely gotten underway when the transfer of power occurred and president Trump came into office. So, uh, Starting in 2015, President Barack Obama's Department of Housing and Urban Development floated a cookie-cutter requirement for balanced housing in every suburb. Balanced meant affordable even for people who need federal vouchers, so Section 8 housing. And towns, so I I live in a town. You may live in a town also, or you may live in the suburbs of the city, you know, so the suburban area is named after the city that you're in. But usually, most places in America, you have the major city, And then outside the city limits, you have the counties that touch the city limits. And then you have, uh, so the major metropolitan area is called St. Louis. I live in St. Louis, but I really live in a little town outside of St. Louis. It's a suburban town. We have our own mayor and own little council, and we pay a tax to this little town, and they have their own fire department and uh, police department. You see what I'm saying? So... Sometimes you don't have your own fire department, but you have your own police or vice versa. But it just, you know, it's it's all based upon how the town developed, the size of it, uh, you know, currently and what people are willing to pay for. So this rule would basically say that towns are obligated to do more than simply not discriminate. The, the proposal, which was actually brought about in 2013 before it was, you know, put into place in 2015 and they're saying you have to towns have to make it possible for low income minorities to choose suburban living and provide adequate support to make their choices possible. So I know if, if you're anything like me and my husband back when we were younger and we'd first moved to St. Louis, we lived in the city and we lived there by choice because the things we could afford in the suburbs were not to my liking. My husband's either. We, we were like, you know, we should live in the city. 
and we should get our feet wet with some home ownership here. And, and so that's what we did. We bought little, you know, places and areas that weren't completely gentrified and we would move up from that house to another one and maybe keep it and rent it out, et cetera, et cetera. But we were thinking we might move to the suburbs, but at first we were pretty much city dwelling on purpose. And we said we were never going to move west of 270. Oh, how funny to think back about the way we used to talk about living west of 270. To us, it was too far and also meant we would be far away from like the zoo and the airport and downtown. And so that was our choice. I mean, it went along with what we could afford as a young couple. So it seems a little unfair to young couples like me and my husband who are we literally we bought houses and then, you know, sold it once it had a little value. And as our kids began to appear and then get a little bit bigger and start to approach school age, our eyes did turn to the suburbs and we thought, you know, we'll do an inner ring suburb. So we're not so far out, but it would be great if we could find one with good schools. And so it was a plan that we were under. Now liberals need to take this action because they've destroyed the concept of a nuclear family. So a husband and wife working together, even though I wasn't working, I, I was a stay-at-home mom. But by being a stay-at-home mom, I saved us tens of thousands of dollars a year in childcare because when the mom works, you have to find childcare for the kids. So if you have kids and you're married and you're trying to do this whole thing, you're going to have to make a choice. Either the mom works and she earns an outsized amount of money where the childcare is not an issue. You pay for it, but there's still lots left over. Or in my case, I was not going to be earning enough to make childcare affordable and, and, you know, have lots of money left over. So I'm staying home with the kids. I was super happy to get to do it. And my husband's earning a living and we're planning and saving and sacrificing to eventually buy what, which is what we did. We bought a house in an entering suburb in a good school district. And then from there, we stayed in that house for 10 years to build some equity and then moved up from there. So this rule would say that it is, the town's responsibility to make sure that a single mom with, you know, kids who's on section eight can join other couples in the County and, you know, in the suburbs, basically she can move to any inner ring suburb, any exurb in any, even out to a rural area. What, where, if there's a town there, she has to have the option of having her section eight voucher, not just accepted because you can live in the County with section eight, there's section eight in the County, but that the housing would be, of equal quality and size. In other words, she should be able to live in a single family house too. She should be able to live right on the same street. So mixing section eight into neighborhoods where there's a third of an acre requirement. So obliterating those requirements and saying that any neighborhood that only has single family homes, that's discriminatory. Single family home neighborhoods should not exist. There should be apartment buildings in the middle of those neighborhoods. You should have single family homes. And then right there, you should have an apartment building. You should have a duplex next to, you know, a half a million dollar house on an acre. That is what this is about. So adequate support to make their choices possible. So had this rule been implemented, we would have seen towns everywhere scrapping their zoning laws, building bigger water and sewer lines to support high density living, expanding schools and social services, which, you know, there aren't a lot of social services in small towns because there aren't a lot of people who are using social services in small towns. So social services are kind of concentrated in areas where people who need them can use them and access them. But that is the thing that the Obama administration wanted to get rid of. They don't want people who are in one income level grouped together. Now, we could talk about 
whether or not that's a good thing, having people who are in the same socioeconomic group all clumped in one area, um, it probably isn't the best way for them, but the, it, it's supposed to incentivize you deciding you don't want to live there anymore, you don't want to be in that income group, and earning your way out. And that is possible. But this rule kind of says it's not possible. And even if it is, it's only possible for white people. And even if it's possible for white people, who cares? We want to take this under our control the same way they've taken education under their control. They've got control of uh, the culture. They've got control of uh, higher education. And look at the horrible job they're doing with all of that. Now they want to take control of the suburbs. They're tired of running the inner cities into the ground. Now they want to run the suburbs into the ground. They want to make it so that there's no place you can go to escape and live in a way that you determine you need to be constantly surrounded by their horrible choices and decisions and other people's horrible choices and decisions. You should not be able to escape it. That is what is going on here. So towns that refuse to scrap zoning and push up their taxes to cover these redistribution schemes would lose their federal aid. Now, the first thing I think of when I hear that is, here we go again. You get taxed, your taxes go up to the federal government, then they give it back to you, and then when some liberal gets in charge, they decide, well, you know what? I think before we give you your money back in the form of grants, we're going to put some strings on it. And that's what this is, a huge string that says, by the way, living on two or three acres or an acre or whatever you've got, third of an acre, that's not the American way. You need to be living right next to a huge apartment building that's overflowing with people who throw trash on the ground and don't care anything about where they live because they don't own it. We all know what happens when you own a home. When you own a home, you literally, your whole attitude changes. Now everything you're looking at is yours. So you're mowing the grass, you're taking care of it. And there are people who own homes who aren't as good at taking care of them, but try to put something next to that home that they own. They may not they may have their garage door painted uh you know peach and you and you hate that color but if you try to put something next to them they're going to raise up and say well wait a minute now I own this property you can't just put anything you want right there that's what we have zoning laws for and if the there isn't a law that covers it people will go in and create an architectural review board who will then create rules and and put it into your little town charter and before you know it the last person who built a house that was way too big for the lot, nobody else is allowed to do that anymore because a bunch of people got together and said, that looks hideous. We should make sure people can't do that. That is what local control is. If you don't like the rule, you either get on the architectural review board and change it, or you move to a town where you can build a house that is basically 90% of the lot or, or whatever the issue is. Paint your garage green. You get on the little board or the HOA. You change it yourself. They want to eliminate that. So... This was one of the worst abuses of the Obama-Biden administration, and it was a raw power grab that was designed to look like racial justice. But like everything else, like the Black Lives Matter murals that are painted on the ground that don't help anybody, like this push for the legitimization of violence as protesting is actually hurting people, it's actually killing people, the same types of bad ideas that you see in those different areas are, it's the seed of this entire idea. It's not present here. It's the seed. It is a horrible idea that if allowed to flourish will abolish really 
it's it's the thing that people do. You're living in the city when you're younger, and then you want to escape to the suburbs because you want to be able to open the front door or the back door and let your children out to play without worrying about them getting run over by, you know, a truck or Amazon delivery driver or what have you. And I'm not saying Amazon drivers run over kids. I'm saying, you know, a lot of heavy traffic, you don't see that in the suburbs. So people come and deliver things, but they're driving more slowly because they're in a neighborhood on a, on a more narrow street. They're, they're driving through and there's signs all over, you know, kids at play and all of that. They have a different driving pattern and speed in the city than they do when they're in the suburbs. That's just, that's just the way it is. And we're conditioned to think that way. Now, there are plenty of kids who grow up in the city and they don't ever get hit by anything and they're fine. And it's not that children don't live in the city, but universally, most parents think, I'm, you know, even if you're not moving to a suburban neighborhood, you're moving to a neighborhood in the city that's kid friendly where you can at least have a little patch of grass for the kids to play on. This is just the, the way it is. But if you don't believe in family and you don't believe in men, you know, being in families and women and men getting married and the, you know, the patriarchy, if you don't believe in any of that, then of course you're going to think this is a horrible, it's a horrible idea to have suburbs. And this is a great idea. Obliterate the suburbs. No one should be able to go live like that. So in Westchester County, executive Rob Astorino actually battled the Obama Biden administration for years over this rule. He successfully resisted the baseless smear of racism because he said zoning laws limit what can be built in a neutral fashion. Zoning laws don't say this person or this group can't live here. Zoning laws say the lot size has to be. The house cannot be any larger than or cannot be any smaller than. And that is based upon that one little subdivision. So you can go from one subdivision to the next and you can be in one subdivision where all the houses have to be an acre. You can go right next door and all of the houses are a quarter of an acre. You can go half a mile away and find a neighborhood of villas. So there is a range of affordability, but the fact that there's a threshold based on how good the school districts are is what the Obama-Biden administration, is. they're trying to get around that. And then there's also the fact that because they don't believe in school choice, You literally can't say, I'm going to live in the city, but I'm going to choose to send my kids to that AAA rated school district or that, you know, fantastically well rated charter school or KIPP school or what have you. Because the thing that changes lives is school choice. Once your kid can get a good education, no matter what your zip code is and where you live, then you see people begin to live exactly where they want because there are plenty of people who would prefer to live in one of those narrow kind of really upright houses in the city in a really pretty neighborhood, a city neighborhood, a much more urban environment where they can walk to a big park and, you know, walk to a corner grocery store, walk to, uh, you know, there's even whole foods that are in these urban environments, coffee shops, et cetera. But they also have a nice little backyard and there's a garden plot in their neighborhood where they can grow vegetables and things that there. And I know this is happening because I went to a school choice It was like a big school choice day. They had tours of the different um, school choice options. And I I went on all the tours, even though we don't live in the city. I went in my kind of capacity as a reporter type of a person and went there to experience it. And I talked to lots of parents there. They were so open about how much they loved living in the city and how moving to the city was made possible by the fact that there were these charter schools that they could get into. And that they wanted to see them expanded, even one charter school in an old church. 
that I remember our, our kids went to preschool in a church across from it. This big, huge, beautiful church that they were thinking of turning into condos was actually turned into a school. And the families that went there, they couldn't say enough about it, how much they loved the teachers and the administrator. That is how you get around affordability issues. Because if you can go to the city and find a, a you know, basically it's a, a house that has been abandoned or what have you, and the city is selling it at a huge discount and you get a mortgage on it, you fix it up. And so now you've got this mortgage that's less than $100,000. That's 500 bucks a month. So you're paying 500 bucks a month for a single family home that you own with grass you can mow down the street from a charter school that your kid can go to that's safe and actually gives them a good education. That is the thing that is the actual solution here. So instead of obliterating the suburbs, you make it so that it's not the zip code that determines how good of an education a kid can get. But the reason they don't like that is because charter schools, the teachers aren't unionized, so they can't be controlled by Democrats. They don't have these character education programs that are basically run straight through Planned Parenthood. You know, the, the whole curriculum of it comes from Planned Parenthood. And the charter schools are based on performance. So if teachers aren't performing, they're gone. And if parents don't come to parent-teacher conferences, you might find that you're not going to be approved to come back the next year if you're not going to participate in your kid's education. You hear all that responsibility? You hear all that self-motivation? And all of that, that goes against what the Democrats are currently peddling. So I want to make a caveat here or, or, or like a PSA. Obviously, I am opposed to people saying that they won't rent to a, another person because they're black or, or Muslim or, or, you know, Jewish or what have you. Or, you know, if it's a black person who owns it because the person who wants to rent is white. That is wrong. And I don't agree with that. And we've experienced that here in St. Louis. So I know what that feels like to know that it looks like a nice apartment, but you can't even get them to show it to you because they've lost the key in between you calling over and them saying it was available and encouraging you to come and the key I have the keys right here. Just come over. I'd love to show it to you because we'd really love to rent it out. And then you show up and they're like, oh, we, we've lost the key. That's discrimination and it's always wrong. But this isn't about that. This is about changing the way people live who don't live in urban environments. So African-Americans have actually been leading the charge out of inner cities in America and choosing suburban lifestyles, according to the Brookings Institute, which has data on this. Many families of all races want the peace of mind of letting their kids ride bikes and being on quiet streets and just, you know, living on a cul-de-sac, having uh, the neighborhood, like the little neighborhood meetings at so-and-so's kitchen or what have you. It's just, it's a nice thing to do. And for people who live in the city who have their own, like they have their own neighborhood associations and their own little, that's awesome too. So I, we've done both. So I, I'm not against any of it. So HUD secretary, Ben Carson talked about how the real barrier to suburban living is money. And, um, you know, the zoning laws actually provide different environments that you can choose from when you're going out into the suburbs. And I know if you've done any house hunting, you've seen it. Some neighborhoods, you go to them and you notice they have a distinctly different flavor because they, they're in areas that have zoning laws that are different. And sometimes you're just like, I've never seen anything like this. And that's where you want to live. And other times you just want the absolute, almost boring, quiet, sleepy nature of a traditional suburban community. And you can find that too. So Dr. Ben Carson was testifying before a House committee last May, and he said, quote, people can only afford to live in certain places. 
It's not because George Wallace is closing the door. So you're back to that money. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying you want to create mixed use communities. And we have some of those here as well. Um, They've actually, there's a suburb that it, it was actually a field and a developer created kind of a mixed community where you have single family homes, but they don't have the garages on the front. The garages are in the back off of an alleyway. And there's these big thoroughfares with walking areas where you, this, the street is a single lane on each side. And in the middle is a big boulevard where the residents are encouraged to walk. He created a town in it so that everything you need, like your groceries and stuff is in walking distance. And it's very popular, but it's kind of far out. Um, and then there are areas in the city that have been kind of developed that way. And they're proposing one actually near me, not too far from where we live. And the people who live in that town, some of them are opposing it and some of them are for it. And that is that is the way it is supposed to happen. You are supposed to go argue with your neighbors and figure out, do we want a mixed use retail on the bottom, apartments on top, somewhere in our area where it's already shopping? And that's what they're proposing. And I don't know what's going to happen with it because it's not my town. But I have been following it in our local little newspaper that we all share, not the the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the big city paper, but the little paper that is kind of for us suburban folks. So I just want to encourage you to find out more about this. The link is in the show notes and to read up on what each side, Democrats and Republicans, are proposing and to kind of make up your mind which, so which, which sounds better to you, being able to find a place to live in that reflects how you want to live, which is the current scenario. You have to pay for it, but you do get to choose. And the choice is yours all along the way. Bevelyn Beatty, who is the woman who's been pouring um, paint on the Black Lives Matter murals in New York City. And she's, she's a Jesus freak just like me. And she's a truth teller. She has a heavy Brooklyn accent. And I could just listen to her all day. She's, she has stolen my heart. I love this woman so much. Never met her, but I love her. And she said something the other night on Instagram in one of her live videos. She said, if you, she said, I don't want people making programs and telling me that I've been dealt a harder hand of cards because I'm black. She said, I don't want anyone to tell me that they're going to give me something to help me eat better or do better. I'm going to do it on my own by the grace of God. She said, if you work and you earn lobster and steak money, then you eat lobster and steak. She said, if you work and you earn McDonald's money, then you eat McDonald's until you earn more money. She said, you don't work, you don't eat, but you eat what you make. And anything more than that is basically the person trying to victimize you, trying to make you a victim. I couldn't agree more. It is so insulting to know that millions of people who are Democrats think black people are so poor and incompetent and incapable that anything we have must be because some benevolent white liberal gave it to us instead of the truth, which is the sweat of your brow and the amount of time you spend praying to God. We ask, we, we have not because we ask not, we have not because we ask not. Then those are the things that, cause that's the truth. The truth is things that are lacking are because of a lack of effort and a lack of prayer. So whatever you're looking for, the thing that you're trying to do, more effort, more prayer. It will get done. 
You just have to be willing to keep working and keep praying. So um, it's, it's, of course, it's insulting, but it is par for the course with these, these liberal Democrats. Black people are stuck in inner cities. It's their fault because the schools are horrible. And so what are they doing? Passing the buck to people who live in the suburbs. The only problem is now in 2020, there are millions, tens of millions of black people living in the suburbs. And I can tell you, if there's anybody who's going to rise up and oppose this kind of policy coming to their suburban area, it's going to be not just black people, white people, Asians, anybody living in the suburbs. But you'll probably see the people out in the front of that opposition will be black because of how much work it takes to get out of the inner city, especially if you're from there generationally and the stigma, you're leaving, you're leaving your people and all that other garbage you have to put up with. And just the simple fact that you've worked and earned it. And it is not right for other people to come along who haven't worked and haven't earned it and demand that you increase your taxes to pay for them to have something that you worked and earned and saved and waited for. So, you know, there it is. It, it, it is absolutely ludicrous, but that's the proposal. So read about it. Listen.stacyontheright.com. You can check it out. The links are there. Um, so now I want to switch over to um, this is such a great website. It's ifapray.org. The link is also in the show notes. And we've talked about praying over our elected authorities, right? And uh, at the website, it's headline prayer. News Christians need to pray about every day. And you can look at a mix of prayer, news items, exclusive intercessory, intercessory reports, opportunities to contact and pray for elected officials, and connections with other intercessors. And so for July 23rd, she has You Are Not Alone, and this is written by Susie Smith. And 592 people have prayed this one. Lord, allow us to feel your tangible presence in the fear, uncertainty, and unstableness of our world. Help us to embrace all the uncertainty and suffering of life as we live in hopeful expectation that you are indeed working on our behalf. Once you say that prayer, just like that, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Then you click I prayed, and now it says 600 people prayed because I just prayed that. So... You can scroll down, and the one that I'm interested in us praying together and discussing is the Black Lives Matter School Curriculum 2020. And this one is also from today, and it says, Father, please help the children in our nation's school system to grow up learning biblical values and principles and help us to vote to ensure that will happen in the upcoming election. And then she talks about a 2020 curriculum resource guide it's free. It's got downloadable activities, resources, and actions to challenge racism, oppression, and build justice-centered classrooms. Well, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, that's what we want to do, is it? So I had a problem with making everything racial. I think this is brainwashing and I don't agree with it for kids, especially when kids are more, more the most likely people out of all of the people groups, the elderly going on down. Kids are the ones who are most likely to be friends with each other, regardless of their racial background. Unless they're trained to be racist or trained to be Marxist activists, they're usually grouped together along their interests. I'll never forget our son's first best friend in grade school was in kindergarten and they met on the first day and he said oh mommy I met this boy today and he and I are exactly the same 
I said, oh, what's his name? Charlie B. I said, oh, that's great. Charlie B and I are exactly the same. I said, tell me, tell me everything. He said, well, Charlie B loves Legos. I was like, you love Legos, check. He said, Charlie B wears glasses. I said, oh my goodness, you wear glasses too. He was like, yep, check. I said, what else? He said, well, Charlie B also likes to watch SpongeBob. I was like, oh my goodness, this boy, he must be your twin. And he was like, yep, we're just the same. You're never going to believe it. When you meet him, you'll see we're, there's nothing about us that's different. So I go to school a few days later and Charlie B and his mom are there and Miles grabs me by the hand and drags me over and he's like, mommy, meet Charlie B. And the little boy looks up from the carpet where he's down there playing Legos and Miles drops down to his knees and he's playing Legos down there too. And Charlie B looks up at me and he has a shock of almost perfectly white blonde hair, huge round blue eyes, and a pair of glasses that look almost identical to my son's. And I looked at the mother <laughs> and I said, hi, I'm Stacy." And she said, we've, I waited because Charlie B told me that I needed to stay behind and meet the little boy who was exactly like him. I said, that's what my son said. And we looked at each other and we laughed and we shook hands and we became friends because <laughs> she had one more little boy. And of course, Miles is our middle child. So I had one more child as well, a little girl who's the same age as her son, her younger son. So she had two boys. And so we talked about how they had described almost the same conversation with each mom, how they were the same. And I, I said, do you think they've even realized that there is something uniquely different about them? And she said, no, I don't. And it's beautiful, isn't it? I said, I, I'm loving it. And so then we started talking about, you know, some of the things that we might have in common. It turned out we had a, a, quite a few things in common as well, which meant that we actually had a, a genuine friendship instead of it just being, you know, my, our sons are friends. Therefore, we have to kind of spend time together. And so we did for years. We were friends with them. My husband knew her husband. It was a really nice uh, period of time where the boys shared a lot of activities and did a lot of things together. And it wasn't until I think they were in fourth grade, third or fourth grade, and they were in the back seat of, uh, of her car. They were in the back seat and they were riding along. And Charlie B said, you know, Miles, I think I found something about us that's different. And Miles said, I know I've been thinking about it too. And Charlie B said, it's our hair. And Miles said, yeah, my hair grows up. And Charlie B said, yeah, my hair grows down. And then Charlie B took his hand and put it on top of Miles's hair. And he said, your hair feels almost like a sponge a little bit. And Miles said, your hair feels like my sister's Barbie doll's hair. And then they looked at each other and they shrugged and went, hmm, and went back to playing with, they were still at that point, uh, you know, bigger sets of Legos, but still Legos on their way to get ice cream after they'd been to this little kitty theater show that they had been out running around together. And so kids are not in need of Black Lives Matter curriculum. They don't need to be taught how to treat each other nicely or fairly. They don't need to be taught. Yeah, they, they need help when they have disagreements. They need help, uh, you know, not biting and kicking each other and fighting when they have disagreements. But as far as teaching them about race, we don't have to do it. If we leave them alone, they will grow up with a better understanding of how minimal race is than we will. Now, one thing they do notice is differences in socioeconomic status. They notice that if, if one person has a very small house and one person has a very, very large house, 
but they usually don't judge each other on that. That doesn't start until late middle school or high school where they start literally judging and saying, I don't feel good about myself because my house is really small or my house is not in the same neighborhood. And usually that's because the ones with the bigger house have said, hey, you know, your house is not that big or it's not in the right neighborhood. It's kind of put upon them and that's stuff they learn from their parents. So I want us to, as a group, you know, and you, you're welcome. If you don't feel like praying about this, obviously don't. But I want us as, as people, Christians, to pray against this type of a thing. Black Lives Matter, having a curriculum and coming into the schools, it's only one level below all of the garbage that we see from Planned Parenthood, who they're already embedded in public schools. And that's why what we do at Family Vision Media is so important besides the podcasting, and but the guide that we have just put out about how to talk to your college students about indoctrination. You can get that at familyvisionmedia.org. It's right at the top. As soon as you hit the website, you just click it, put your email in there, and you get the download. We'll be producing more of those, and it's going to be so nice to have those to be able to share with people. And so I just encourage you to check it out. Put your email in there. Check it out. We're not going to be emailing you even every week. So this is this is not an opportunity for us to spam you. If you know anything, if you're on my email list, you know you rarely get anything because I am just not interested in filling up your email box with stuff unless it's important. And um, I encourage you to go to ifapray.org and check that out. And then look on there also. People have asked and we have responded. People wanted to know, where can I find out when you're going to be on something next? As soon as I know about something and it hits my calendar, it also gets placed over there at familyvisionmedia.org so you can find out when I'm going to be on Fox, Newsmax, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that's really fun if you're looking for me for speaking engagements as well, when those crank back up. And we're not really doing anything like that because of COVID. But if there is something, it will be there as well. So you'll be able to, if there's an event that you'd like to actually sign up to go to, um, and I happen to be speaking there, you'll know about it. You'll, you can find out about it there at the website. So, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm loving this new thing, this straight podcasting. And then there's also the show on Sirius at 9 a.m. Central Time, 9 to 11, uh, every Sunday. I'm doing that. We're going to church on Saturdays now, which is fun. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, God bless you. I hope you're going to have a fantastic night. Um, I'm filling in for Tony Katz tomorrow, so you can catch me on his nationally syndicated show mid-morning. All right. Tweet me, at Stacey on the right, familyvisionmedia.org. Have a fantastic night.